Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What's the first brand you remember making an impact on you as you were growing up many years ago in Nigeria? So the first brand that really kind of made an impact on me was really Coca-Cola, if I have to be honest <laughs> and say. Growing up in Nigeria, we had, you know, there was a, a, a there was actually a Coca-Cola factory in in the town where I lived. And uh, kind of when you ever you had a celebration or anything, right, Coca-Cola would be served. And I remember visiting the Coca-Cola factory and and the factory a uh, person that was kind of showing us around had such passion. And I remember kind of when I was, I was like, oh, who wants to go to a Coca-Cola factory? And, you know, I had an aunt that used to call it sugar water. So I was like, who cares about sugar water? And and hearing this employee, he was like, it's just not sugar water. And just kind of get really into his passion for Coke and what Coke did and how this factory was, you know, providing jobs. It was it was so meaningful because it was the first time I started to realize that, wow, this brand is more than a logo. This brand is more than the ads that I hear on the radio. There's something deeper to this brand. Look at this man. He he believes in this brand. He loves this brand. It's not just no one's paying him to say these things. And so I realized that there was emotional connection between the brand and the person. And I will never forget that moment because it changed how I saw brands. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show... I delve into how they do it. My guest today in the CMO podcast is Dara Traceder, the Chief Marketing Officer of Autodesk, which has recently been up to a lot of creative marketing. Remember the prank Autodesk ads during the Oscars? Well, we'll talk about that on this show and a lot more. Autodesk is perhaps the most amazing company you have never heard of, but has certainly impacted you. Their tagline is, make anything. And their software helps people in architecture, construction, media, entertainment, and manufacturing. If you have built or renovated a home, as we have many times, you have experienced Autodesk software. If you have enjoyed an action movie, it's likely been created with Autodesk software. 
Autodesk is 41 years old, based in San Francisco, with revenue north of $5 billion and growing at a 15% clip. My guest, Dara, was recently named by Forbes magazine as the number one most influential CMO. Dara was raised in Nigeria, has an undergrad degree from Harvard and an MBA from Stanford, and has worked at Goldman Sachs as an intern, Apple, GE, Carbon, and Peloton before joining Autodesk as CMO in October 2022. Here's my conversation with a CMO who just simply radiates wisdom, warmth, and happiness, Dara Traceder. Dara, I asked ChatGPT to write an intro and an outline for this conversation, and it came back and told me that you were brilliant, accomplished, and a CMO extraordinaire. I'm not kidding. So welcome to the CMO (laughs) podcast, CMO Extraordinaire. Thank you so much. And thanks to you and ChatGPT. <laughs> I, I had not asked ChatGPT to write an intro. So this is uh, this is news. Every, everything me, else but... <laughs> it didn't get right. I mean, the, the questions were not quite where I wanted to go. So uh, so it still has room to room to improve, which but but the, it got the intro right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. That is a, certainly a great way to start the conversation. So I appreciate it. So what would your mother say about that intro? she would be like, you still have a lot to learn. Probably just probably what she would say. I've learned a lot about your mom in my research for this show. So we'll probably talk about that later. She has a lot of wisdom. She has a lot of wisdom. And I I certainly owe a lot of my success to her. So she is a, a force to be reckoned with. Now, you've been the CMO of Autodesk for about eight months. And what an amazing company this is. You know, north of five billion in sales, so a multi-billion-dollar enterprise, growing at a fifteen or so percent clip, an incredibly diverse operations team and board, and a purpose that is critical to the world. So, no wonder you joined, Dara. So, tell us the story of how you two got together. So, you know. Autodesk is such an incredible company, but it wasn't, you know, I wasn't looking to, to, to kind of jump and, and go to Autodesk. And actually when Autodesk first reached out to me, you know, I was like, thank you, you know, but I'm, you know, I was really enjoying my, my, my previous job. I wasn't planning to leave. And also there was a lot going on at my last job. Yes, there was. It was a hit in hills. So I really felt like I needed to be there for my team. You know, like I'm not the kind of person I don't run when things are tough. When things are tough, I dig in, I work hard, I push through. And so, you know, the first time they reached out to me, it was kind of, I was, there was a lot going on. I was like, I can't leave my team right now. You know, I really feel like I need to stabilize my team. I need to get us on a new path. Um, and I need to really be there for 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 the company I was working. And this, with. of course, is at Peloton. Yes, right. Yes. Just for our listeners, yeah. yeah. And so, but I I couldn't. But I Autodesk does so many amazing things in the world. And I remember actually I was having dinner with one of my best friends and her husband and my husband. You know, kind of a little double date. And I mentioned that you know Autodesk could reach out. Her husband's an engineer. I was like, Are you? Mm. What are you? You must respond to this company. This company is so important. What they do is so critical. My husband had obviously told me this, but you know, when your husband tells you something, you don't really hear like, okay. yeah, I get it. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, I listened to, to my friend's husband and my husband eventually and, and kind of, you know, kind of just responded and, and, and said, Hey, you know, I'm not looking right now, but thank you so much. And, you know, the recruiter, she was really persistent. She was amazing. And she was like, why don't you just get on the phone? 
and just talk and, you know, get to meet some of our leaders. And, you know, she was like, look, at the very least, you just know some amazing people and expand your network. And so I thought, you know what, I'll get on the phone and, and, and talk to them and, and get to meet them because I, you know, heard about them, you know, as, as someone who has spent a lot of time in Silicon Valley, right? I'd heard about them and, and the amazing journey that Autodesk had been on. And when I got on the phone with them, these are some of the most incredible human beings you've ever met. <laughs> and they were absolutely remarkable, brilliant, intelligent, sincere, down to earth. I loved my conversations. And, you know, but I, I at the, like I said, at the time things were going on. So I was like, there's a lot going on and I want to be fully present where I am right now. And, and, you know, we just kind of kept the conversation going and, you know, it, they kind of, they sort of kept checking in as they were, they were doing their search. And, you know, I'm a big believer that there's a time to bloom when you're planted, mm-hmm. but there's a time, you know, when you need to go to grow. And I was kind of reaching a point where I felt like, Hey, my work here has been done. I want to kind of hand the baton to someone else. Like it's been hit nails and I'm ready to clip out. And they kind of reached back out as having a conversation. And it just really felt like this is where I meant to be. And what was exciting to me was this is a company that is going through amazing transformation. So this is a company that's really helping design and make a better world for all. Right. And our software is used in everything whether it's architecture, construction and engineering yeah. or media and entertainment or product development and manufacturing. You know, almost everything that's made is designed and made with our platform. But this is a company that hadn't really done a lot of marketing. You know, it was a company that's really product led, yeah. engineering yeah. led. And so there was a there's a huge opportunity as a marketer to step into something like that and use marketing to kind of like it's like the pixie dust. Right. You spray the pixie dust of marketing and everything starts to fly and everything starts to bloom and everything starts to be even better than it was. And so to me, it was it felt like, you know, this is the right time to kind of step into this role where I can really bring, you know, my expertise to a company that is means so much to so many people around the whole world, by the way, this is, it's such a global company. And so to be able to kind of step into that role was an amazing opportunity. So finally, you know, it was, it was my birthday, which I think of as my personal new year, kind of made the announcement that I was going to be moving to moving to Autodesk. Yes. Well, we're renovating a 1937 old home in Cincinnati. And I asked my architect, our architect, and he said, of course, I'm using an Autodesk product. Of course. Of course. <laughs> so, yeah. So anyway, um, you know, maybe you, you just talked about the marketing as the pixie dust. And maybe because I was preparing for you, I'm just hyper aware of this. But it just seems there's an awful lot of creative stuff going on on the marketing side at your company. This the Walking Dead ads, the Oscar Autodesk prank ads, which, by the way, I I got in the first ad. I knew where you were going with that. (laughs) I knew where you were going. And then you had this partnership to help restore Notre Dame in Paris. So, Dara, I want to start there. I mean, what is going on in this company or am I just hyper aware of it? Well, we have certainly turned the volume up. I will say that, you know, Autodesk has been doing so many amazing things, but we weren't really kind of talking about the things that we were doing. We're just kind of doing it and doing it. But the reality is it's important to talk about what you're doing. 
And the reason it's important, it's not just about having people know who Autodesk is and what we do, but it's about inspiring our customers to see what's possible and empowering them to take the next step that really allows them to grow and, and accomplish their objectives and their outcomes, right? It's that inspiration. So not only is telling our story isn't just good for Autodesk, but it's good for our customers and it's good for the world. And so, you know, we have been on a journey to, to start to do that. And I think that's why, you know, a lot more people have heard about Autodesk. A lot more people are talking about Autodesk. And, and I'm excited about I'm excited about that. And, you know, it comes down to our strategy. Right. And our strategy is really about making sure that we are living out our purpose, our company purpose. In a way. That is lifting up our entire community. So for us, it's about making sure that we are, you know, making things better for our users, making things better for our customers, making things better for our partners, and ultimately making things better for the world. And talking about what we're doing and having our customer stories be known and sharing that knowledge exchange is so powerful because it really, you know, it's that, it's the motivation, it's the inspiration. It just allows our community to reimagine what's possible and realize that they too can make anything. What was the catalyst for turning up the volume on the marketing? Was it a, a, was there an event or a person like yourself coming in or was it the management team saying, you know, to achieve our, our purpose and our, and our goals, we need to do some different things in marketing. What was the catalyst? Well, you know, as a, as a, as a new, as a new CMO coming in, you know, I kind of came in and, you know, like I had my hundred day plan right before I even started <laughs> and, and, and kind of came in, refined that and started working through that. And it was, I, I assessed the situation and said, Hey, what's the, what's the job to be done here? Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I joined Autodesk and one of the reasons I was excited about this, I was like, this is a company where the business is so far ahead of brand. There are companies you work at where there's a lot of marketing. Yeah. And when you peek under the hood, right, it's like, OK, you got to go back to the shop. There's a lot of work to be done here. Autodesk is one of those companies that the business is far ahead of the brand. And so that creates an amazing opportunity as a marketer, because when you start to tell the stories and when you start to really improve your marketing mix and I'm talking a 360 degree approach, you can take the business to the next level. I realize that a core part of this has to be the elevation of our brand and telling our story in a more creative way in a more engaging way on a bigger scale. And so, you know, within my first hundred days, we started to get it done because there was actually, we had the insights. We had the data. We had the stories. We just had to start acting on them. And so it was kind of working together with my amazing leadership team, pulling together a plan and then starting to execute on that plan. And one of the things that I love about the work that we're doing is It's so exciting and it's so uh, interesting and engaging, but it's deeply connected to the business. You know, it was funny. I was just at a, I was hanging out um, with some friends over the weekend and they were just, they just kept talking about, you know, the Oscar ad and how exciting it was. And, you know, it was, as I was talking to them, I said, Hey, you know, 
Autodesk software had been used in almost every winning, uh, every Oscar winning, you know, movie since 1997. Uh, and so this was like a culmination of a success story, right? That has, it's not a one time, two time, three time, four time, five time, six time, right? This is decades in the making. And that's what I love about what we're doing here is we're basically just starting to unlock and uncover the richness and the fullness of the amazing work that Autodesk has been doing consistently for decades. Now, we talk a lot on this show about the tension between, I hate these words, but I have, I'm going to use them, brand marketing and performance marketing, right? And Autodesk, I imagine, has been built on performance marketing. So how did you, you sound like you're balancing that very well right now and the business is responding and the brand, my guess, is elevating. So I think the first question is, how did you make the case for that, Dara? And how do you think about the interaction between brand and performance marketing? So I think the first, what is incredibly important, you know, as a CMO, when you're coming in into a new role is making sure that you and management are aligned on the job mm -hmm. to be done. And that was one of the things that I'm so grateful for. It's so funny because people ask me, how's it going? And I'm like, it's going better than I ever imagined, which isn't always the case, right? Many no, times as a CMO, you walk in and your best day was the day of your announcement when everybody was like, woohoo, because once, once the, the, you know, the lights turn out and the music fades, you're left with the harsh reality that you're having to fight this uphill battle. And I'm not saying things are always easy, right? Every role has its challenges. But the thing that I'm so grateful for is, you know, Autodesk was very clear on um, the job to be done as they were kind of going through the CMO search. They took the time to kind of make sure that they hired who they felt was right for the job. And I'm really glad I got the job because I know I'm right for the job. The job to be done at Autodesk is what I love to do. It's my passion. And it's what I'm great at. <laughs> so it's that kind of perfect combination of what the business needs is what I have to offer. And I see brand as performance. You know, brand mm -hmm. is performance. So I think this, this is a false hood, unfortunately, that is kind of perpetuated in our industry that kind of says, oh, are you a brand marketer? Or are you a performance marketer? I think every good CMO, every great CMO is both, right? Because brand is performance. At the end of the day, every single thing that we are doing as a marketing organization needs to be showing ROI. My team joke, because I have very corny sayings, I will say it, show me the Romy. It's very corny, but it's like, show me the return on the marketing investment. Yep. Everything that you're doing as a marketer, everything that you're doing needs to have a clear ROI. Why are we doing this? And what are we going to get for doing it? We sh anything that we're not clear on why we're doing, we shouldn't be doing. We're not, and I tell my team all the time, we're not about activity. We're about impact. Mm -hmm. We are a high-performing, impact-focused worldwide marketing organization. We are here to fulfill our objectives. We are here to accomplish our goals. And so the way I think about it is, you know, I've got, I've got a, a growth marketing organization which by the way, I created, you know, I kind of had global demand gen. I had a media center. I had marketing operations kind of sitting in different places. I brought them together as one powerful, <laughs> effective growth marketing organization. And so we have a growth marketing organization. We've got a brand team, but guess what? We're working together. 
It's brand to demand, right? So everything that we're doing is connected. As we're doing our campaigns, we're thinking about how is this going to drive the business forward? How is this going to build pipeline? How is this going to drive sales? Not just sales today, but sales tomorrow and in the future. How is this helping with the green shoots, right? That we as a business are investing in. It's really about cohesively thinking about the job to be done, thinking about the tools in your toolkit, and then bringing these things together in a way that really drives results. I think, I think a lot of myself as a conductor right, of an orchestra, but I think that the idea that any great business that is customer facing, that is any, any business that's customer facing like our business, right? Our customers are using our software. The idea that we're not going to be investing in our brand as we're building our performance doesn't set us up for long-term for success. I have a fun story I'll tell you, and then maybe we'll move to something else. But when I was in my last job, you know, I met people who were very passionate about the brand. Um, and I remember meeting someone who had even gotten a tattoo and being mm-hmm. kind of surprised. But, you know, we're a consumer brand. It happens. If you had told me that at this, as the CMO of Autodesk, I would be meeting customers who have gotten our software tattooed on their bodies. No, <laughs> really? Yes. Yes. I'm telling oh, you. Wow. Yes. I would have told you. Uh, I don't know that that's going to happen, but I'm. This is the reality, right? Our engineers, the designers that are using our stuff, they are so passionate about it. You're the Harley Davidson of B2B. <laughs> They're getting the <laughs> tattoos on their bodies. And so that's why I say, you know, it's not about B2B or B2C. At the end of the day, it's B2H, B2Human, business yeah. to human. And it's yeah. like, what are you doing to cultivate those connections, to deepen those connections, to move the business forward? We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. I want to go a little bit back into your your growth marketing organization that you brought together and you made them cohesive. It's a beautiful story. I'd just like to ask you to go a little bit deeper on that. What's the one thing you did to make that work? If you had to pick one or two things that really drove, because a lot lot of CMOs say they like to do that and are not that successful in doing it. So what's your counsel? So I think the first thing is having a clear North Star a clear vision, 
right? I gave the team a clear vision. And so everyone rallied around that vision because there was an understanding that us coming together is going to better allow us to accomplish that than us working in silos. I think without that, it wouldn't work, right? If everyone didn't know, and, and making sure people understood the why. I spent a lot of time explaining the why. And I think that's really important because I think sometimes as a leader, we get in and we're like, here's the what is going to happen. And then we're like, okay, now let's roll up our sleeves and get into the how. We skip over the why. But guess what? People can't really get into the how and they can't get around to the what until they are bought into the why. So spending time helping people understand, hey, this is why we're modernizing our marketing organization. This is why we need a unified worldwide growth marketing organization. Here is where we're going to be stubborn on the vision. Here's where we're going to be flexible on the details to empower you to be, you know, who are closer uh, to the markets to make decisions. Spending time going through the why really helped the team rally and kind of come together. I just actually finished my extended leadership offsite you know, where I kind of bring together not just my directs, but their directs. And it was so energizing and so powerful. And actually the most common word that people said in that day was connected, connected, mm-hmm. connected, connected. And, and I think that is, you know, to me, it was just one of the most fulfilling um, experiences I've had in the past few months. So that was the first thing. I think the second thing that was really important is coming together with unified goals and objectives. So, right, we've got our company goals and our marketing goals are in service of company goals, Mm. you know? And, And so I started there to say, hey, these are the company goals. These are our marketing goals in service of the company goals. And was very clear, very, they're very specific, measurable, right? Actionable, reasonable, time bound. So we've got these smart goals that we can kind of push towards. And so the team also, not only do they have a vision, but they have a roadmap for how they're going to accomplish that vision. So I think sometimes we have a vision and it's so lofty and it's high and, and you know, it's, it's kind of pie mm-hmm. in the sky and no one yeah. really knows what it means, but it's like, let's have a real vision and then let's make sure that we illuminate the roadmap with clear milestones that the team can use as we start to march towards that vision. We're going to step away from Autodesk for a minute and come back to it. But I was in in preparing for the show and researching you a bit more. I found this amazing video interview from the Stanford Graduate School of Business. And this remarkable, amazing young woman interviewed you. I mean, I don't know what she's doing now, but I wouldn't mind hiring her. She really is amazing. Wow. And she was a student, I think, at the time. She was a student. Absolutely. Yeah. So such a good interview. So I was really inspired by that. And I want to sort of, and I I was inspired by that with this idea. And that is to play a little bit of a game with you and ask you a few questions about a range of things that have been very meaningful for you in your life and career. So are you okay to go there? Yes, let's go there. Let's go there. The first thing I want to ask you, Dar, is who is the most meaningful person for you as you were growing up before you went to university and and work and postgraduate and all that? You know, most meaningful to me were my parents. You know, my parents were just the most supportive, loving, um, kind, giving, generous 
truth-telling as well people. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially my mother. You know, I was one of those children that was very forward you know i was i was as a child i, had I somehow <laughs> believe that dara <laughs> not much has changed as a child you know i had big dreams i was a child that always asked why 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 you know that kind of you know children are to be seen and not heard well i was heard as a child and uh and, and you know i was always out there and you know my mother she was so amazing she would always you know, kind of bring me and, 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 and talk to me. And one of the things that she used to tell me is ambition with contentment, ambition with contentment as a child. I didn't really, I didn't really understand what that meant, but as a woman, as a mother, as an executive, I understand exactly what that means. And that statement, my mother gave me ambition with contentment is my North Star. It always has been. It always will be. And, you know, many times in my career where and in my life where I could have made the wrong decision or I did make the wrong decision and I had to course correct, I had a compass I could point to. Whether it was ambition with no contentment, I found my way back to contentment. Whether it was contentment that needed more ambition, Mm -hmm. I found the ambition. And I would not be where I am today. And I would certainly not be the woman that I am and the person that I am without my mother and my father. Well, I love that concept, ambition. It's like a dial. Yes. You're always dialing it. You're always you dialing. Know, every day, every, every week, day. every month. Exactly. Your most meaningful course at both Harvard and then Stanford. So my most meaningful course at Harvard was af- actually African-American history. Um, which was taught by Professor Evelyn Higginbotham, who I adore, and Professor Henry Louis Gates. And it was such a meaningful course for me because it helped me finally contextualize and understand my African-American experience in a way that I, it's like you feel these things and you think these things and you experience these things But you can't really, you can't move forward until you understand the past. And, and for me, you know, that African American history class, which is called kind of introduction to African American studies was such a powerful and and important moment for me. I learned so much was also where I kind of really fell in love with African American literature and, 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 and it helped me really find my, my own personal purpose. Right. Which for me is to be someone that, you know, black women, young black girls around the world can kind of see and be like, oh, if Dara could do that, I could totally do that. I mean, Dara did that. Oh, please. If Dara did that, I'm going to do 10 times more than what she did. And that, that, that's that's what drives me. For me, it's not about me. It's about us. What gets me out of bed every morning is how can I be someone that can just open the door for others and show others what is possible and actually have them run far ahead of me and exceed me and, and do things that, you know, astound and, and really shine a light on what is possible for them. And, you know, I think, I think a lot about this because growing up as a, as a young black girl in Africa, I didn't really think I could accomplish very much. You know, I didn't really think that there was much that could be accomplished. And as a, as a young adult, right, really an adult at the time, seeing Ursula Burns become the Mm -hmm. first black woman 
to be CEO of a Fortune 500 company. That that really, really, really impacted me as an adult because I I didn't even think it was possible for a black woman to become CEO of a Fortune 500 company. So when Ursula did it, I was like, yes, this can be done. And you know what? Several years later, there's only ever been three. I mean, I think there was yeah. one interim, but apart from the interim, only three women, right? Fasanda Duckett, uh, Rosalind Broa, and yeah. Ursula Burns. And here we are, and it's 2023, right? And 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 there's a huge opportunity. And it's not because they're not qualified or talented or gifted or capable Black women. It's just not enough Black women have been given the opportunity. So everything that I can do to help and push along that journey, sign me up. And I hope you reach that goal if it is one that you have to be a CEO. Right now, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy where I am. But I know you are. <laughs> But I think you'd be a good CEO, Dara, just oh, for the thank record. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that was an amazing story about education and the power of it. And I hope your professor knows that and listens to this, perhaps. Very powerful. That's why people go into that field, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. To inspire a person like yourself to have the amazing purpose that you have. Yeah. How about Stanford? What, what course there? At Stanford, the course that was most meaningful to me was a course that we call at Stanford touchy-feely. Um, the official name, I believe, is Interpersonal Dynamics. I like and, the first one better. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of those courses where, you know, it's it, it's very experiential. Right? You're kind of put in a, a small group and it really illuminates because there's how you see yourself. There's how other people see you. And there's how you think other people see you. And often there's a gap between those things. And what this course does is it opens your eyes to those three windows and then it gives you the tools to bridge those gaps should you choose to bridge them. And two things happened for me in that class. The first thing was it made me realize that as a black woman in America, I would I would be seen often and my actions would be interpreted often with a double standard. It's, it's the harsh yeah. and, and, and challenging reality, right? Uh, I mean, even just now we saw this, right, with the basketball game where one person does something and they're confident, yeah. another person does it and they're classless, you know? And, 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 and that was very painful for me to, to see that and to, to learn that, but it was very important. It was important because it made me realize that, um, this exists, that this is real and awareness is the first step, right? For any journey of healing. And it was also great to, to accept that, you know what, I, uh, because you see it that way, because you have some challenges and things you need to work through. That doesn't mean I need to see myself that way. Right. And yeah. so there was also some healing that happens through that. But the second thing that happened was, you know, I, there are many gears in all of us. We have many, our personality, who we are, how we show up as a leader. We've got different, um, we have range and we can, we can, we can explore the fullness of that range. And because of some of the, the challenges of being a black woman, a strong black woman with personality, you know, I was afraid 
to, to, to try some things within my range. So for example, one of the things that I was afraid to kind of dial up was, you know, being firm and being able to make difficult decisions and have difficult conversations. I shied away from that because I was afraid of, you know, if I make the difficult decision or if I have the difficult conversation, will I then be lumped into the difficult black woman bucket? And I don't want to be the angry black woman, right? I don't want to be in that bucket. So it impacted and actually limited me because I kind of would, would shy away. You know, I remember there was a course, another course at Harvard where we had to, you know, act out, you know, laying off people. <laughs> and the professor was like, Dara, just stop. Right. What are you doing? You're asking this person about their birthday and like getting into a whole conversation, like just get to it, you know? And, and, and I, and, and that course just, I was able to practice having difficult conversations, negotiating, um, being firm and being tougher. And that allowed me to just, you know, know that, yes, I'm kind and empathetic. That is the core of who I am, but I can make tough decisions. I am a leader who is tenacious. I am resilient. Um, I can, I can do hard things. I can handle hard things. I can live through hard things. And it's so funny because I had no idea that how much that course was preparing me for life. One observation I had about you in my research and certainly being affirmed here is you are an amazingly self-aware woman. (laughs) I think you know your strengths, you know what turns you on, you know when you need to leave something, you know where to focus, you know when to dial that thing between ambition and contentment. So I'd just like to pause there for a moment because self-awareness, I think, is so important to a happy life and a happy career and being a great partner, parent, friend. So how did you achieve that? Dara, was the course at Stanford an accelerator for that? Or has it been something that you feel like you've had, you know, through your childhood into your adult life? Well, it certainly started in my childhood. You know, I think that, um, again, coming back to my parents, you know, there's a saying um, in my language in Yoruba, which is Iwalewa, which means character is beauty. And, And that's something my mother used to say to me all the time growing up. Um, and, 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 and what that means to expand on that statement is that you are not what you've done. You are not, you are, you are more than the worst thing you've done. You're, you're also not the best thing you've done, right? You are who you are every day and the work begins every day and you have to continue to grow and develop and be great and have good character every day. And, and and that's just something that I've had with me my whole life that was kind of really instilled in me by my mother and my parents. And I kind of carried that. And I think at Stanford, I was able to bring that into the professional context. For me, that journey has been a lot about being incredibly self-aware because I'm not perfect, right? Like anyone, I have my mistakes and the things I need to work on. But guess what? I can't work on it if I don't know what it is. And so being attuned to trying to figure out, okay, here's the thing. Here's the work that needs to be done today, right? To to have that character and being able to kind of every day wake up, recommit, sign up again to do the work is my lifelong journey. Your most meaningful career experience before Autodesk. Wow. I've had so many amazing career experiences. It's hard to say most meaningful, but I would say probably my first CMO opportunity 
uh, where I got to, uh, you know, work at GE for Sue Siegel and mm-hmm. learn from like Beth Comstock and, and, and Linda Boff and, you know, really amazing uh, female leaders, marketers. Yeah, and, I know them all. And, 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 and that was, that was meaningful in a way because, you know, the first time you do something is always in some ways the hardest because you've never done it before. And you have to learn how to do it. And it means you're going to make mistakes. And it means that you're not going to do it perfectly right. And in fact, you know, and so for me, it was an amazing opportunity to learn a lot and to grow a lot. And and a lot of the lessons, you know, just stayed with me for my whole career. And I will forever be incredibly grateful for that experience. You know, Sue Siegel is just one of the most incredible leaders I have ever met. And she is just an absolute force to be reckoned with. And I learned so much from her about what it means to be a leader and that it's a privilege to be a leader. And every day I you know, aspire to be <laughs> as great yeah, of a amazing. leader as she is. Now, the final one, and this kind of we helicopter up here a bit. What in your mind is the most meaningful capability marketers must build in the next five to seven years? I think that marketers need to build agility. And what I mean by that is, look, there's always going to be something new that comes on the horizon. Right now, it's kind of exactly it's AI and conversational AI. And how are we using it, you know, in our marketing? How are we incorporating into the way we work? But there's always going to be something new. As a marketer, you need to be on the front end of what's cutting edge and new. That ability to learn quickly, you know, I want to be a learn-it-all, not a know-it-all. I want to immerse myself in learning. The best marketers are learners who, where you're always thinking about what's next. You're, you're kind of, you know, you're comfortable with ambiguity. You're seeing around the corners and you're not afraid to try things because I don't know what's going to come next. But I know if you work on building agility and you work on being a lifelong learner, you're going to be ready for whatever it is. Now let's come back to your CMO role at Autodesk. You've talked, to, this is your fourth role as CMO. First one was a GE. So you're not a novice at this by any means. How is this role most different from the ones you've had before? Well, I think that this role is, um, th- first of all, this company, in terms of the breadth, this company has breadth unlike anything else, right? So you have media and entertainment, you've got architecture, construction, and engineering, you've got product development and manufacturing, right? These are very different industries. Um, and, and you're working on the technology that kind of actually works across all of them. Mm-hmm. And so that breadth, I found just absolutely incredible because as a marketer and as a learner and someone who is just an absolute nerd <laughs> and loves to take in new information, it, 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 it's endless, right? There's endless possibility. There's endless opportunity. There's endless room to learn and grow. And also it's just, it's absolutely impossible to be bored, right? Because one day you could be in a hard hat and a construction site. Next thing you're like, you know, at the Oscars and next thing, you know, you're kind of looking at a sustainable building. So you're wearing all these different hats. You're learning a lot. And so I, that I, I just, I love this role so much. 
And I think that this is the perfect time for me to be in this role because I'm a veteran CML, right? So I know I've, I've worked in different industries. And so I'm able to bring my best to all these different industries within this one company because of the rich experience that I've had before. You seem very happy. I'm very happy. <laughs> I have to say, I am very happy. I, I do love my job. And it's funny because, you know, my job is my passion and, and I'm so passionate about what I do. And, you know, at Autodesk, we actually, one of the things we do is we offer our education for free to students and educators all around the world. Um, so if you're an accredited, you know, educational institution or a student, you can access our software for free. And wow. guess I've got two uh, students in my house, a five-year-old and a seven-year-old who are making the most of Tinkercad, which is basically kind of our cloud um, design platform uh, for K through 12. And so my five-year-old and seven-year-old, they love to design things on Tinkercad and then print it with their $100 3D printer. And, and, and so to even wow. see my children learning and the joy that they have as they're kind of learning, right? And this is, you know, I didn't tell them, hey, you should go use Tinkercad. I just... When I joined Autodesk, I said, hey, this thing exists. And both of them have just found such passion. So to just see how it also is helping not only the current generation, but the future generation, right, have a passion for, you know, STEM and design and engineering is just, it just, it brings so much meaning and joy to the work. There's a bit of Lego in your culture, right? It yes, sounds, yes. sounds very Lego-like. I hear you use the words people and purpose a lot. You know, in your dialogue, in your discussions, in your writing, in your speaking, you've talked about purpose already and how it's broadly felt across the company. I'd like you to talk about people because, again, in my research on you, you are very gifted in working with people, putting together a team, motivating them, listening to them, understanding them. And that's what the more senior we get, that's the job, right? It's, it's always a, it's always a job, but the more senior we get, it's it's ever more important. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about how you developed into such an exceptional people leader, one of the best I think I have seen or researched in the 250 episodes I've done on the show. Wow! Well, coming from you, Jim, that is a high high praise. No, I so mean it. Thank you. That that means a lot to me, especially coming from an amazing leader like you. Um. You know, I believe that everything we do, we do with others. So I mean it when I say, I say to my team, I say, I'm here to serve. I believe my job is to serve my team and, you know, my share, our, our shareholders, our board, right? Our, my, our CEO, CEO, our management team. I'm here to serve. And, and I take that very seriously. You know, uh, one of the things uh, a saying I love is pressure is a privilege. And it's a privilege to be in a position to kind of serve and lead others. And I don't take that for granted at all. And many times, you know, we've all been led by leaders who inspire us. We've been led by leaders who inspire us not to be like them. Right. And, and, and I remember that. And, and so for me, I'm constantly focused on what can I do to be the best leader for the people I have the privilege and honor of serving. And that starts with being people first. I am people first, unashamedly people first, because I believe that when you're people first, you'll always achieve your goals. Because at the end of the day, people show up for people. 
People go over and above for people. People deliver for people, right? And there's, no matter how much you're paying someone, when the joy and the passion and the commitment is there, it's always going to be so much better. And if the person's just doing it because you know what, this is my job, I got to collect my paycheck and feed my kids. And, and you can't, that kind of passion, commitment, loyalty cannot be bought. It has to be earned. And as a leader, you have to do the work to earn it. And so for me, every day I wake up and I think, how, what am I doing to earn the respect, the commitment from my team so that we can go and tackle all of the things that we have to tackle today? And so having that people first approach is really important to me. And I think that starts with understanding what people on my, my team need and how I can deliver what they need. But creating the space for that conversation, I think is important because I think sometimes we're so like, okay, here's what we need to do. Here's what we need to do. And, you know, I remind myself to pause and say, hey, what do you need from me? How is it going? How can I make your life easier? How can I make your life better? And making sure that I truly understand what's needed. And then I go deliver whatever that is, whether it's, hey, I need more support from you on this, or I want more coaching on this, or I want this, I want to reach this new level and that I'm supporting my team. And one of the things I'm incredibly proud of is, you know, I haven't yet had like a direct report come to me and hand a two week notice. It hasn't happened every time because wow. it hasn't happened and I'm knocking on wood, you know, <laughs> but, but, but it ha- because I, with my team, I, 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 they know my team knows I care about them and, and, and their personal goals and happiness so much that if they're not happy or they, they, they feel like they're ready to go to the next thing, they know that they can tell me and there's not going to be any retribution. They know that they can tell me and we can work together on making sure that they land in the next place. You know, very often, but some of the people that I've worked with have got, you know, one of the people I work is now a CMO somewhere or, or, you know, in a big job somewhere. And, and often we'll text and we'll call and we'll hang out and, and that relationship continues. And so to me, that's really important. And I think sometimes, you know, and myself included, we're tempted to not be people first because we think that being people first means being weak or not making the right decision. And, and we, you know, I believe there's a line above the line is trust below this line is fear. I lead from a place of trust, not a place of fear, because when people work from a place of fear, the work is corrupted. Innovation, creativity is stifled. People are not going to take risks. When people work from a place of trust, you unlock their potential. And that's where the magic happens. And so for me, my, my, my walk as a leader is constantly a walk to earn trust of the people I'm honored to serve. I was at a program last week at the Kellogg School and Tracy Brown, who's a senior leader at Walgreens, spoke an amazing woman. She told her personal story of fighting type two diabetes and how it's impacted her personal internalization of the Walgreens purpose. And she started her speech by saying, I wake up every day and I ask myself, am I worthy to follow? Mm, I love that. Am I worthy to follow? You should meet her if you haven't. Wow. I haven't met her. I love that. Remarkable woman. Wow. Remark. XPNG, by the way, she she was a PNG alum. And uh, so she's very senior at Walgreens now doing an amazing job. So, uh, but yeah, you should meet her. Yeah, I will. I will. I love that. That's a great, I'm going to copy that too. It's a great, yeah. great, yeah, great absolutely. sentence. A great affirmation. Yes, absolutely. 
I want to move to the creative brief now. My first question, you probably know this is coming. What's the first brand you remember making an impact on you as you were growing up many years ago in Nigeria? Wow. Many, many years ago in Nigeria. So the first brand that really kind of made an impact on me was really Coca-Cola, if I have to be honest <laughs> and say. A lot and, of people say that on the show, by you the know, way. You know, like growing up in Nigeria, we had, you know, there was a, a, a there was actually a Coca-Cola factory in in the town where I lived. And, you know, kind of when you ever you had a celebration or anything, right, Coca-Cola would be served and Coke would be served. Um, and I remember all the Coke, Coca-Cola um, in Nigeria is actually sold in bottles after the bottles are collected and they're washed. And then, you know, the new product is put in and it's then redistributed. So kind of sustainability before sustainability yeah, yeah. was was t- being talked about and cool. And, and I think it was more a cost <laughs> because, you know, it's, it's very <laughs> it was probably more a way to kind of have cost efficiencies. But also there's kind of the great sustainability aspect of it. And I remember visiting the Coca-Cola factory and, and the factory uh, person that was kind of showing us around had such passion. And I remember kind of when I was, I was like, Oh, who wants to go to a Coca-Cola factory? And, and I was like, you know, and, and, you know, I had an aunt that used to call it sugar water. So I was like, who cares about sugar water? And, and hearing this employee he was like, it's just not sugar water. And just kind of get really into <laughs> his passion for Coke and what Coke did and how this factory was, you know, providing jobs. It was, it was so meaningful because it was the first time I started to realize that, wow, this brand is more than a logo. This brand is more than the ads that I hear on the radio. This brand is, there's something deeper to this brand. Look at this man. He he believes in this brand. He loves this brand. It's not just no one's paying him to say these things. This is how he truly feels. And so I realized that there was emotional connection between the brand and the person. And it, it, I will never forget that moment because it changed how I saw brands. All of a sudden, I realized brands, there is a life to the brand. And we can breathe life into a brand and make it mean so much more to someone than what it means on the surface. And I've kind of carried that with me my whole career. Big lesson from Coke. Yeah, big lesson from Coke. Now, you feel it is very important to, and I'm quoting you here, protect your peace. Yes. Could you explain that to our audience and why it's important and how you do it? Well, you know, I believe that the thing that matters, the thing that gives us the joy, the strength, the ability to face whatever, enjoy whatever is our peace. And I think often it's something that we don't fight for. You know, we don't we don't fight to protect and protecting your peace really means doing what it takes to make sure you can be who you need to be for the people in your life, professionally and personally. You cannot pour from an empty cup. You cannot give what you do not have. You cannot be when there's nothing in there, right? You can only be who you are and you have to be enough for you. You're not, it's not about being enough for the people around you. It's not about being enough for 
the critics. And I think that for much of our lives, many of us, we are doing things right to earn recognition or to be noticed. Or we're doing things for others. And the reality is until we have a deep understanding of who we are and we start to live for ourselves, it's actually harder to do things for others. Because when we're obsessed with what other people think about us and what we're doing about other, we're not actually showing up as our authentic self. So protecting my peace for me means being fully aware of who I, Dara Tresita, want to be and then being enough for me doing the things that I can look myself in the mirror and say, hey, I'm proud of you, girl. And making sure that anything that's going to kind of interfere with that, I cut those things out. And so I can focus on being the best version of myself. Then I can give the best version of myself to my family, my friends, my team, my community. And, and, and so that's why that journey to protect my peace is, uh, <laughs> is important to me. Do you have any rituals or processes or habits that help you do that? Absolutely. So one of the things that I do, a couple of things, three things. One thing I do is I have my spiritual practice and um, that's really important to me. Um, so I, you know, I, I sort of meditate, pray, mm -hmm. read. My faith is important to me and my spiritual practice is important to me. Um, the second thing that I do is I, I journal. Um, and actually I journal with my husband and it's funny because we both travel, we both have big jobs. And even if we're both on the road traveling, we, we are still journaling together. So we will journal asynchronous and then exchange wow. and share it I together. And I love it so much because not only am I learning and growing, but you know, my husband is who I'm doing life with and being able to kind of, I learned so much too from his journaling as well as my journaling. And so that, that process of daily reflection, um, I just treasure it so much. It's one of my favorite things that I do. And then the third thing that I do to protect my peace is, you know, I, I set personal goals and objectives. So, you know, and I actually, this is something I do, we do as a family, my husband and I, we do individually, but also as a couple. Um, and now our kids are kind of growing up. They get to kind of be a part of it too. But kind of set those objectives and key results, right? As a, as a mom, as a working mom with the job that I have, I'm never going to pretend and lie that I'm at every drop off and pick up. It's not, I have a worldwide team. I'm not at every drop off and every pickup, right? But with my daughter knows the things that are really important to her, like, you know, she had a musical and I was like, I'm sorry, people but I'm going to be front row at that musical. You know, the things that she has said, Hey mom, these things are important to me. I prioritize those things and I show up for those things and then not feeling guilty, freeing myself of that guilt and turning that guilt into gratitude. That is a big part of my practice. Like I let go of the mom guilt and I, I just, you know, bring in the gratitude, like growing up, I never imagined I would be in a position that I am today to help my family, support my family and, and my children. And so I'm grateful that I have the job that I have. I'm grateful that I'm in the position that I'm in. And instead of feeling guilty that I'm not at every drop of a pickup, I'm grateful that I'm able to provide for my family and that I'm able to be at the things that matter most to my daughter. And so that kind of mental shift of turning guilt into gratitude and having clear objectives so it's because we have objectives at work. So why not in our personal lives? You know, to me, it's important that I'm also not only being a great executive, but that I'm being a great wife and a great mother. Well, speaking of gratitude, Dara, 
you use the language of blossoming and sunlight a lot in your as you speak about your happiness. You use the language of nature a lot. And I just want to end on that note. You have blossomed here on this show. You brought us sunlight. And I am deeply grateful for you spending this time to inspire so many of our listeners. You're an amazing woman. You brought sunlight to the CMO podcast. And I thank you for that. Well, you have brought sunlight into my life, Jim, and I'm grateful for you. And thank you so much for having me on this podcast. That was my conversation with Dara Traceder. Three takeaways from this one for your business brand and life. The first one, have ambition with contentment. I just love that thought. Dara talked about how she learned that as a child. It was advice from a mother. What we should achieve in life is contentment with ambition. That's a hard balance to make. We talked about turning the dial every day. So the question is, do you feel you have ambition with contentment? Second takeaway, brand marketing is performance marketing. Dara does not see any line between these two. Her group is united with one set of goals. Brand and performance marketing work together. They have a common vision. They have a great culture. They focus on impact, not activities. This is one of the best lessons we have heard on this show about how to think about brand and performance marketing. Third takeaway, be an unabashedly proud people leader. Dara believes in this very deeply. You've just experienced that. She talks about how leaders need to earn the right to lead, how pressure is a privilege, and to always talk to your people about why you were doing what you were doing. Understand the why, then people will know what to do with the how and the what. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.